And I take it in this way that product and growth is at the end of the go-to market strategy, which I think really falls into the area of product marketing. I think especially in startups where you do not have specific roles or specific people leading on some specific projects, I think there is this need for this fluid role that can work with different stakeholders and get the ball moving or rallying the troops. So I think product marketing plays a crucial role in making sure that the process or the journey accelerates as fast as possible. Welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance and hosted by me, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jopper. Every two weeks, I pulled insights from some of the world's most talented product marketers to uncover the secret sauce of successful product marketing. In this episode, I'm joined by Umang Sejpal, Product Marketing Manager at Cofenster. Umang might be relatively early in his product marketing career, but he's already accumulated a wealth of marketing and product marketing experience at companies like Merkle and Enchanto. Today, Umang and the team at Cofenster are reimagining video as a means of communication within enterprises, specifically for internal comms, HR, DE&I, and external comms teams. During our chat, Umang gets into the role product marketing has played and continues to play in Cofenster's transition from a sales-led growth model to a hybrid product-led growth model. His practical insights and recommendations will be incredibly helpful to anyone who finds themselves going through a similar shift. All right, with that out of the way, let's get into it. Hey, Umang, how's it going? I am great. I'm doing good. How are you? Very good. Thanks for asking. Super excited to have you here today. Looking forward to it. I've been looking forward for a while. Awesome. Well, yeah, let's get into it then. Can you walk me through your career so far and what you do at Cofenster? Absolutely. Um, so like the career began with me just figuring out, taking a year gap uh, after my engineering and figuring out what I wanted to do. Uh, and marketing was the thing for me. I spent the first few years being a general mar- general marketer, working on different aspects of marketing, lead demand generation, product marketing, con marketing, and about four or five years later, I said, okay, now I'm going to pick my specialty. Um, and so I looked at my day-to-day and sort of jotted down the things that I loved most about my day-to-day and try to look it up. Um, and that's when I read some articles by the Product Marketing Alliance and I just knew this was it like this, you know, going back, like there was a word for what I wanted to do. And ever since I've been a product marketer, um, so yeah, that's me. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And you've definitely described an experience that I think a lot of product marketers have had where They've been doing a job for months, years, and they have this general marketing title and then they do some more research and they realize, oh, what I've been doing for this entire time is actually something called product marketing. And that's how they get exposed to it. Even though when they signed up for the job, the title was something completely different. So I know know there are many others out there who have experienced that as well. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it also does help uh, playing around with different aspects of marketing because you'd really then understand how that playing into product marketing or how product marketing is playing into the bigger umbrella. So it's a definite plus. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good insight. I think the more you can expose to marketing more broadly, the better product marketer it can make you because you have that appreciation and an insight into how the other marketing teams within the org are operating, what their goals are, what they might be coming to you for and vice versa. So I think that's that's a great shout. Yep. Awesome. Well, let's get into it then. I'm super excited to talk about our topic today. And you mentioned in the build-up to our conversation that Cofenster recently underwent a transition from a sales-led growth model to more of a hybrid one that embraced more product-led growth principles. I'm curious, what spurred on that decision? Yeah, but just a big disclaimer, it's not that we've done it. It's a long transition, so we're en route uh, this direction and this long journey. Um, But I think 
career-wise, I think I've always been into B2B enterprise startups, and they have been mostly sales-led. And while that's worked for a while where you want to acquire it every, at, at whatever cost, um, but looking at the market that's been in the last couple of years and now the gloomy outlook, I think people are looking for more efficient ways of acquiring customers and retaining customers. So I think at the back of every co-founder's mind, there is this desire to find uh, value from the product and letting the customers find this value and lead and stay on as customers. I think the same way, uh, what I think most startups are going through right now, this is why we started looking at product-led growth. But just to give a shout out that the co-founders had this in their mind. It wasn't a new concept where you had to really pitch them and convince them. So we could really get working on figuring out the different ways and the roadmap for for reaching to a product-led growth status. Yeah, and I think that makes a ton of sense. I think that's some some great framing for, again, what I'm sure a lot of other companies are experiencing right now, as you said, with the economic outlook not looking super hot, depending on who you ask or, or what sources you read. Um, and I think you're right. You know, a lot of times people, businesses and marketers especially, they'll hear these new topics in the world of marketing. Um, you know, they'll hear these new buzzwords or new processes and they'll get excited and they'll think, oh, you know, we should be doing this. But to your point, um, product-led growth has kind of come out of this almost need to be more efficient, as you said, in acquiring customers, whether it's because of the economic outlook, because of the increased competition and how hard it is to acquire new customers. Um, not that sales obviously doesn't have a place in that, but there needs to be some more product-led, hence the term, um, ways of acquiring those customers for all the reasons you mentioned. So um, yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And obviously, as you said, it it helps when the, the co-founders are the champions of that. Um, and, and on that note, just as a quick follow-up, when the co-founders went to the rest of the org to kind of present this idea or say, hey, we're going to go down this path, how did they present it to to the rest of the team? Were there Was there a specific approach that they took or did they just bring everybody in one day or, or was it over a series of conversations? Honestly, it's still in a bit of a bubble. We haven't exposed it to the entire organization because we're still laying the foundations. Um, but I feel like there are whispers every year and there. There's an initiative, there's a problem. And you start to see that, okay, this is an area that product net growth could help. So you call it product net growth, you call them growth loops. But the co-founders are always thinking of the next year and then the next year and how do you figure out the whole board meeting conversations. So I think it's always there in the back of your mind. Um, and I think it takes the executive team to sort of come together and say, okay, we now start. And then we start to think about a roadmap. So I think it starts in whispers for a while. And then suddenly one big thing makes it really come out in the open saying we have to tackle this off. So thing like that. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think it's, like you said, probably a lot easier when problems are coming up or problems are being observed and the solution lends itself so nicely to this transition that it would make the overall and broader transition that much more palatable, let's say, by the rest of the org. Because they felt those pains and they understand the need for the shift. So I, I think framing it in that way as well makes a ton of sense. So thank you for sharing that. So let's dig a little bit deeper into product marketing's role, as you said, that is currently ongoing in this transition. Right. Have you been as a product marketer, you know, actively involved in the decision-making process or have you taken on more of a support role in executing this transition as it's happening? I think this has been one of the good decisions of my life to be in this company at this stage, because I think it's really made me question the role of product marketing in product and growth specifically. And I've spent a lot of time discussing with the product marketing alliance community and just people in general in LinkedIn um, 
And I take it in this way that product and growth is at the end of it a go-to market strategy, which I think really falls into the area of product marketing. I think especially in startups where you do not have specific roles or specific people leading on some specific projects, I think there is this need for this fluid role that can work with different stakeholders and get the ball moving or rallying the troops. So I think product marketing plays a crucial role in making sure that the process or the journey accelerates as fast as possible. Um, so I've I've been lucky to have this opportunity to work on a lot of core foundation projects of product growth and really question the role of product marketing in product growth. Um, so I would definitely say that product marketing has a very big role to play um, in product growth. Yeah, I can't agree with you more on that one. And I think the way that you've positioned it as almost like a go-to-market motion makes a ton of sense. And I think it would probably help frame it and crystallize it for a lot of product marketers who maybe have been approached by, you know, maybe their head of marketing or the senior exec team to explore a transition for their own organization. I think oftentimes you hear these, you know, sales-led growth to product-led growth transitions, and they seem quite daunting because it feels like, especially if you're at a bigger company, all these moving parts, all these different teams that need to be looped in. But I think rounding it as another type of go-to-market strategy and how you would execute that helps frame it for product marketers in you know, again, grounded in something familiar that they can then start to build a process and a structure around that they are familiar with. Absolutely. I think it has the traditional milestones of customers or users finding out about the product and then using it more, which is essentially what we're trying to do. We're trying to market the product or make the product the main lever for it. So it makes sense. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Obviously, this is an ongoing process at CoFenster, something that you're, you know, really in the middle of right now. As that transition is happening, how are you and the team and the co-founders working on defining what success looks like at the end of this process, whether it's months from now, whether it's years from now? Are there specific metrics that you're keeping an eye on? And how is product marketing supporting the achievement of those metrics? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question because as it might seem, but it's not the case. Product and growth is not a superficial change. It will test every team, every process. Uh, you need a lot of stakeholder buy-in and a commitment to a project that has no quick deliverables right away. So what we did is not trying to rush into it, but we sort of built out a roadmap and we built out phases. Um, and we sort of, and I personally have tried to really understand what product and growth can bring to the table and try to deconstruct it and not try to do everything at once, um, but sort of pick the next most logical step for us. I think that's critical. If you're starting from scratch, it's okay for you to go all steam ahead and product to it. But when you have a direction that you've already taken with sales led, it's not something you can just up and move to another direction. Um, so we have different phases and we've come up with a strategy for what product growth looks today and what it looks like at the end of the year and what it looks like beyond that. And so then we have specific milestones around it. So it's 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 something that's going to really test, make a lot of people uncomfortable. But I think it's more coming out of lack of knowledge or lack of unknown. So getting them on board is is kind of the milestones for me, if if you put it in a more non-tangible, intangible way. But that's kind of how I'm tracking it right now. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So it sounds like you're really leaning into the internal enable internal enablement aspect of this transition and ensuring you know all the teams at various phases are brought along you're addressing their questions concerns really partnering with them and, and coaching them through it and 
again, to use the analogy that you used earlier of a go-to-market, you know, much like you wouldn't just release a product and, you know, as soon as it's live with no prep, just go to market with it and, and hope for the best. It sounds like you've taken a very logical structure, you know, phase by phase, milestone by milestone approach that again, resembles a very well thought out go to market strategy. So again, for product marketers who are listening, who are, you know, either themselves at the onset of this transition or exploring what the transition looks like, framing it as exactly how you have, I think would be super helpful. So I, I appreciate you sharing that structure. And, it, and in going through that, has there been maybe some pushback from some of the internal teams? And you don't have to name specific teams, um, but has there been, you know, any groups of individuals at the org that have looked at that roadmap and thought like, ooh, you know, phase two, I don't know about that. It's looking pretty scary. Uh, you know, how have you uh, addressed that if it's come up? I think I've had, because I didn't come in with any biases. Uh, this is my first project digging into product that was really uh, I've just gone with the first principles approach or keeping it super agile. So we don't have a very complicated roadmap planned out. The thing that I would say is it seems scary. And so it might be a pushback, but it's really more people trying to do their day job and try and incorporate some time and energy to sort of change behavior because it starts from home. Um, so there isn't pushback. What I do have sometimes is people being excited to go in a certain direction and trying to get them together to move on one once in one direction that can be tricky but it's less pushing back more with the excitement because it makes logical sense it's not a process that is an experiment that you don't know will work there's plenty of proof that it does work it's how do you get there without trying to rush too fast and messing it up in the process or not taking an opportunity when you see it so that's kind of how i see it or what i've experienced it right now yeah and it sounds like one of those u- unique challenges where you want to really build off the excitement and get people excited and leverage that to make things as successful as possible, but also temper that excitement and make sure people are, you know, jumping ahead and skipping steps so that they're aware of all the things that need to take place. And also they can adjust to the transition as best as possible. And, you know, I would imagine having not gone through this transition myself in my career as of yet, that, you know, everybody's kind of going to go along that path at their own pace. So you might have some members of the teams, you know, whether it's a specific team or just individuals within a given team that are gung-ho about the change, they're super excited, they want to get started right away. And then you have others that are maybe a little more hesitant, a little resistant. Because as you said, it's a behavioral change. And, and you know, behavior can be hard to change um, sometimes internally. So um, I think, like you said, making sure that everyone's taking the lawn, really focusing on that internal enablement and not moving too quickly, I'm sure is going to pay dividends on the road for your team as you get further along in the process. Absolutely. I think one more thing, anybody that's looking to transition, there is a ton of people out there with amazing experience and sharing it continuously. I spent, I'm already seven to eight months into this process, but the first few months, I reached out with a lot of people and there is a lot of good advice out there. Um, it really helps to take a little bit longer, but know where you're going rather than having to redo this because a lot of companies have, as I've read, messed up or not reached the true potential because it looks too good to be true where you don't need to advertise people just come in and stay with you forever and it can seem like you want to try and get there as fast as possible but the core foundations which nobody sees and it doesn't come out as a result right away but those are super critical to build the right basis and foundations for it so it's just you got to take your time but also keep pressing the accelerator it's a dance that which i think in general product marketers are super used to like you want to get everything out in the market but it has to be ready so we're used to playing this role, and that's why I think it's it's the perfect additional dimension to to product marketing. 
yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think you're right where people, whenever product-led growth is talked about, whether it's on LinkedIn or on various companies who have gone through transitions themselves, they obviously want to focus on what went well and how smooth the transition was and how great it was. But to your point, you know, that's what's at the surface. As a product marketer, especially, I think you made the really wise decision to go talk to others who have gone through this process and ask them hey, what worked well, what didn't work well, what are the sorts of things that I should be aware of. And I think whether it's making a transition from sales led to product led or really anything where there's this, this fundamental shift within an org that product marketing is a big part of, it's important to get those out, outside perspectives and opinions from people who have been there and done that because uh, it really just helps you be as prepared as possible. Like you said, you know, you got to take things slow and while still keeping your, your foot on the accelerator is that hard dance, as you said, uh, to maintain. And I, I would imagine being as prepared as possible just makes that dance that much easier. Definitely. Awesome. Well, you know, obviously in product marketing, whenever we talk about shifts like this, whether it's, you know, customer facing or even internal, we consider what the impact to things like the company's narrative, positioning and messaging might be. Um, sure. In going through this transition as it's happening now and moving towards this more of a hybrid model, have you had to reevaluate any of those things? And if so, how are you going about, you know, changing um, if there is any change and in communicating that change to customers? I, I would say that it's not made me question the core messaging of the product. What it has done is really brought to the spotlight of for product marketers where you need to be able to say the right thing in the right place. And now when you're going product-led growth, you're really committing more to communicating via the product or about the product to customers or to testers. And so that's really pushed the number of touch points that you want to manage for the different stages along the journey, the different product features that they're exploring, and to make sure that it's it's a lot more real-time and, and really personalized. So it Breaking down the core messaging into these little touch points, that's a little tricky. I don't think it changes the narrative so much, but really the distribution of it becomes a lot more chaotic. It's something you want to be on top of. Yeah, that's really smart. And I think that's where, if you're fortunate enough to work in an organization that has a lifecycle marketing team, to really lean into and rely on that team to help you identify, as you said, some of those touch points in product, or maybe even out of product along the customer journey, whether it's communicated through email, through you know text messages, whatever that could be that helps get that story across. Cause you're right. You know, when you're making this transition, you, you, you won't lead on your sales team as heavily as you would have historically. Maybe they'll be shifted to more high value deals and they are going to be able to really give that dedicated hands-on time to the accounts are going to bring in a lot of value. And some of the, you know, average to lower value accounts that can be, you know, handled through the product won't have that same level of interaction with a representative from sales. So you, you lose that kind of storytelling mechanism to get that out there. So you're really thinking critically about what are the pro uh, the in product touch points, as you said, and relying on your lifecycle marketing team if you if you've got one um, to really help kind of navigate that. And, and and you know you you mentioned that you haven't really had to change anything, whether it's you know the positioning and messaging and how it's communicated to the customers. Um, have you had to maybe not rearrange is there is the wrong word, but really look at that journey and think oh you know when we were doing things before or when we set out we would really lean into this specific area of product value with these messages at the outset. And now with this shift, maybe it makes more sense to, to mention that later on in the journey of this part of the product. Have you had those kinds of conversations and have you had to make those kinds of changes? I think 
there is a step before this that is really challenging. I think traditionally sales-led has paid a lot of attention through data and through research on the funnel of the prospects coming to the website and then doing something and then coming to sales team. I think traditionally that much amount of effort has not been paid to once the customer is onboarded. Then it's a little bit more general data analytics. I think what this has made me really question and sort of work with the team and the amazing thing that I have uh, is to try and figure out even the starting point of what is the journey, what is the smallest steps within the adoption, what does that look like? And it gets especially tricky when you're in enterprise SaaS because all users are not doing the same thing. It's actually a team that's working on different facets of the product. So it's kind of hard to even track what's going on behind the scenes at a global portfolio level. You could do it qualitatively at looking at one customer, but to be able to program it and have um, that sort of flow out as, as a distribution or a touch point, I think that gets really tricky. Um, so then once you figure that bit out, trying to map how teams are working on a product, that gets really challenging. And then you go about figuring out if they're the early on stage, what are the key features you want them to try it out? If they're a champion, what is it then you want them to do? How do you want to set up growth loops? How do you want them to get more customers and users on the platform? So that is definitely a challenge, but I think even before that, this product analytics and life life cycle and journey mapping, I think that gets questioned a lot, especially from my experience from a sales led, I think that wasn't the main focus area because we really wanted to get customers in um, and then maybe not spend so much time in really knowing the DNA of how they're using the product. Yeah, that's a really super helpful insight. So thank you for sharing that. It's like you said, the idea or the belief is that product-led growth is all about having their product acquire customers and kind of bring them through and get them into their products as fast and as efficiently as possible. But there needs to be this really detailed and and really in-depth conversation around the onboarding and, and post-signup experience and all the inherent challenges, as you said, when you're especially in B2B enterprise uh, of multiple people, multiple interactions. So I think that makes a ton of sense. So thank you for sharing that. You know, you also mentioned leveraging, you know, product analytics and, and the quantitative data once a customer is in the product and what they're exploring first and, and, and so on to help inform those decisions. But are you also, or, or have you, or do you have plans to have conversations with some of those customers to figure out where that onboarding experience worked really well, where there were gaps and really digging deeper by chatting with customers? No, absolutely. That's like the most important thing. I think for any startup right now or any company in general is to make sure you're not missing anything on the customer experience. You really want to hold on to and not lose the customer you worked so hard to get uh, to be lost because of a bad customer experience. Um, so definitely, yes. I think what makes it more challenging for a startup is the product is continuously evolving. So you have got new features and you want to make sure that fits in the narrative and the training is um, done at the right time in the right format. So it definitely is something I think I have started over the last few months spending about 75% of my time focusing on just this aspect and nailing it down. Uh, so that's that's definitely a big, big commitment. Yeah. Yeah. So you're living and breathing it right now. Mm-hmm. I have started, I have almost been adopted by the customer success and the data team right now. <laughs> Right, yeah, they, they're, you're basically working for them at this point. Absolutely. Right on. We do have a very good discovery and design team um, that tries to really get this insights into making the product more user-friendly and more value-driven. Um, I think the biggest challenge for me is then to take all of this learning and make sure that every 
customer in the portfolio is experiencing that and doesn't have to wait for a one-on-one uh, training session or a, or some sort of a workshop. It, it has to get spread across the portfolio as fast as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a ton of sense. Well, you know, having gone through this process yourself and really, you know, being in the middle of it right now, mm-hmm. you've already shared a ton of advice, but I'm curious, beyond what you've already shared, do you have any advice you could share to fellow product marketers who, you know, work at companies who are either thinking about embarking on this transition or who are just about to start it themselves? Um, anything they should look out for or what they can do to make this transition as successful as possible? Yeah, well, that's like a big uh, thing. I I don't know yet the entire journey, what it looks like, but there have been like these very key moments where I've realized, oh, this could be a potential disaster decision had I gone a different direction. Um, I think one of the core fundamentals for anybody that's specifically in the case of being sales-led and is looking to go product-led or add on the layer of product-led, I think it's one of the biggest things for me was I think what's available online or what you see most often on product-led is really the top funnel. You want to have a free new or you want to have a free product. Uh, you want to attract more customers or more potential users directly. And this is my theory but I've decided or we've researched and figured out taking all the experts' opinion and we are doing it the other way around. Um, as long as you have an enterprise setting, there is scope to grow revenues and to have more of your retention revenues increase. Um, so we're focusing more on the existing customers first, uh, figuring out the product-led growth strategies, working with them, having that improved, then move on to testers who we want to make into customers and then move it out to the general public in general. So what you see on LinkedIn most often, I think that's probably the last step in my roadmap, not the first one to go product-led. It's really to work with the customers who've been with you to sort of figure out this mechanism or this machine that you're trying to launch and perfect it before you open it out um, to prospects and and then people in general. I think that's for me the thing I'm super glad I got a lot of good advice in the beginning. And we skipped that journey because opening up the product to to the to the market feels great because now suddenly you have a lot more signups than you normally did, but it suddenly feels a little hollow if you don't have the core foundations tested and perfected. So I think we're doing it the other way around and working with customers first. That's kind of for me the big advice for anybody who's looking to transition. I think that's incredibly intelligent to do it that way for a number of reasons. I think one, you are testing things out with an audience that is a little bit more secure. They're they're already, your customers are already paying you. I mean, unless you really mess things up, which would be a bigger concern, it's unlikely they're going to, to have a, a less ideal experience or, or ultimately churn as a result of these experiments and these and changes. So I think it makes a ton of sense from that perspective. And then, you know, to your point, using your customer base, existing customer base allows you to kind of work out all the kinks, as it were, before you bring it to potential customers who would be less willing to or less patient because they just want to get right in. They want to have the best experience possible because, you know, they're looking to spend potentially a substantial amount of money. So I, I think that's really smart. Um, and, you know, I would imagine that you'll probably, I would hope, for to see customers maybe mirror, or not customers, but other companies rather, mirror your approach because I, I think there's a ton of goodness in doing that. So so thank you for sharing that. I think to your point, it's not something that you often hear talked about when product-led growth comes up. Like you said at the beginning of this conversation, it's one of those things that I think a lot of startups explore because they're starting from scratch and it's easy for them. But when you're making this transition, starting in the opposite direction as you are, I think makes a ton of sense. So thank you for sharing that approach. I think 
I think it also adds one more layer because I think product approval is all about giving value first and then monetizing. And you're trying your best to make sure that the people who are using the product are finding value out of it. Um, and I would first focus on the customers who have already taken the leap of faith and trusted us and try and get them to get more value um, and then open it on to everybody. So it also goes with the ethos of, of product management, I think. A hundred percent. Well, awesome. Well, you know, this has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed your insights and kind of hearing firsthand what it's like going this transition. You know, as you said, a bunch started this conversation. Product-led growth is this kind of buzzword within, you know, most tech companies right now. Hearing a lot of companies talk about how amazing the transition has been, but you don't often get to hear this person experience from people who are actively in it. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure our listeners will get a value out of it. It's a great pleasure. Yeah, of course. It's not a fight. Before I let you go, though, I want to ask you my final question. And this is a new one that I've just started asking this year. So um, I'd love to hear your take on it. And that is, what's an area of focus within the realm of product marketing or close to it that you think product marketers will have to pay extra attention to this year, more so than in previous years? That's a lovely topic. Um, I think with product marketing, we're really used to being part of the revenue teams uh, and sort of taking working with the product and the business side of the th- the the company. I think that this is the same theme of our own conversation. I think there is a big treasure trove for all product marketers to get more comfortable working with customer teams. There's a bunch of insights and bunch of really challenging stuff to figure that figure out over there. But I think in general, customer success is one of the toughest jobs I feel um, with so much pressure in trying to keep customers um, happiest. So if anything, there's anything you could add on to that uh, in, in their efforts. I think it's all, it pays off the company a lot more um, than probably something some other areas. So if I was a product, new product marketer today, I'd jump deep into like, the customer success, not just having customer interviews, um, but the strategies that go behind it, the data that is being tracked. I think that's definitely something that I see being added more and more into the product marketing realm. I think that's fantastic advice. I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, oftentimes when we think about product marketing, the, the natural extension is to think of product and how how quickly you can get yourself embedded in product and really support your PM or multiple PMs. But I think you're right. This year, especially as you know, things get budgets get tighter potentially, things get more competitive. The more we as product marketers can really embed ourselves in the customer facing teams, whether it's customer success as you suggested, whether it's sales, and and I like the advice you gave of you know not just talking to customers and listening in on calls, but like actually being part of the planning and strategy meetings of those teams. And even just walking away from a conversation, even if you don't say anything, just really absorbing how they think and what their plans are for the quarter or the fiscal, whatever that might be. And maybe even if they're willing to actually have you participate and give your own ideas is super beneficial for a variety of reasons. So I think that's fantastic advice. So thank you so much for sharing that. That that being said, I think, in the chaos of product marketing, your anchor is the product team. So you, if you are lucky, you have a great product uh, team to work with, and then you have the luxury to go about jumping different directions. But if you really need that core and really have one foot in product for sure, no matter where the other foot is. Yes, absolutely. It's not necessarily trading one for the other. It's making sure you have that solid foundation and partnership with product. And then once you're there, exploring the other team. So yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Well, listen, like I said, among this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for your time and, and really walking listeners through what it's like being, you know, in the middle of this transition. Because again, as I said, I'm sure there are a lot of companies out there either considering taking that journey themselves or who are actively in it. And 
you know, with, are going to take a ton away from just hearing your own experiences. So thank you so much for that. Um, and, and on that note, should a listener want to reach out to you, you know, you said that you've had a ton of value in talking to other product marketers, either through the PMA or just your own personal network about product-led growth and making this transition. If anybody wants to do the same, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you to have a similar conversation? LinkedIn is perfect. I think LinkedIn is my new school with, with the amount of network there. We're always exchanging ideas. Uh, so LinkedIn is perfect. Awesome. Well, I'm sure you'll have a number of listeners take you up on that and, and kind of pick your brain and, and maybe even reach out several months down the road to see how things are going. So again, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with the audience. And I'm uh, excited to see how, you know, down the road, the uh, this transition plays out for Confessor. I'm sure with someone such as yourself, guiding things, um, they'll be set up for serious success down the road. Thank you so much. That's super nice. And just one final shout out, Product Marketing Alliance has been like home for any sort of product marketer trying to figure out the place. So it's been awesome. Just I've taken out a lot of information from from the blogs and the posts and the Slack communities and the events. And I'm super happy I got a chance to participate in one. So thank you so much for that. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, Please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to spot to an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.